All right. Well, if you have your Bibles, we'll be back in the Old Testament again here tonight. Um, the book of Judges, Judges chapter 2, verses 1 through 15, and we'll get to that here in just a few moments. So, undoubtedly, one of the most unique relationships um, that is in this world is the relationship between parents and their children. You know, from the moment a child is born, they begin to develop distinct traits and behaviors that they learn from the environment that they grow up in. I was thinking about one of the things even a baby from very, very early on learns, right? When, it, when a baby's hungry, what does it do? It cries. You know, when, it, when a baby uh, <laughs> wants to get picked up, what does it do? It cries. And you know what they learn very, very quickly? from some parents that uh, won't let them cry, they learn if, if I cry, I know that I'm going to get my way. <laughs> and I know that I'm going to pick up, get picked up, and them uh, sinful little buggers um, get mom and dad trained pretty darn quick. Um, I was thinking about that this week, and I just kind of find that funny. But you know what? What starts as a baby continues really and expands to every part of a child's life from the environment that they're brought up in. They begin to learn many things from their parents. They learn their language. It's amazing how fast a kid can learn a language, whether he's born in America or born in China or wherever they're at. They just learn language so quick. They learn their values. They learn work ethic or a lack thereof. Um, they, they, they learn how to treat people, whether that's good or bad. They learn how to talk to people, whether that's good or bad. They, look, they, they learn what to look for in a future spouse. They, they look to how they should treat their future spouse. They, they learn about what they think marriage is supposed to be. All these things they learn from their parents. Another thing they learn, which really shapes a huge part of their life, is their worldview, whether it's a religious worldview, or whether it's just a secular worldview, children from a very early age begin to view the world in, in a certain way. In fact, the vast majority of the beliefs and traits that a person develops, generally speaking, are learned before they ever get to adulthood. One person said that children like, are like cement. Whatever falls on them leaves an impression. And, and it's so true in so many ways. And because of this fact about children, um, making sure that they are brought up with the right foundation and the right training could not be more important for the lives that they're going to live, not just in this life, not just in their physical life, but also in their spiritual lives. I read a stat this week I thought was really interesting. It was from the Bonner Research Group. It says that of all the people that, fun, that come to faith in the Lord, 94% of them come to faith before the age of 18. Isn't that crazy? Only 6% come to faith in Christ after the age of 18. Um, D.L. Moody, the great preacher, the, the one that kind of started uh, Moody Bible Institute, he said this, if I could relive my life, I would devote my entire ministry to reaching children for God because he saw the power in, in influencing children at such a young age. Now, while a proper upbringing of a child is obviously important for them as individuals and what they're going to experience as an individual, it's also extremely important really for everyone else that their life intersects with throughout the course of their lives. For instance, what they learn as a child is going to affect their spouse someday. 
What, what they learn as a child is going to affect their children someday. What they learn from their parents is going to affect the companies they work for someday. It will affect the, the neighborhoods and the communities that they live in. In fact, I would argue that what is developed in the minds of children who are alive right now in this world is so important that the rise and fall of entire societies and nations, including ours, is largely dependent on what is being put into the minds of the children that are alive right now around the world. One person said that children are one-third of our population and all of our future. Well said. And so to say the least, what goes into the minds of our children could not be more important. And in fact, making sure that that we as parents and grandparents obviously have a, a role in this as well, we have to make sure that we start these children, these youth that are here on the right foundation, built upon the, the, the solid foundation, the rock of God's word and of Christ, our Savior. Because here's the greatest gift that we can give to our children to, to pass on hope in the Lord for their generations and, and the generations after them that follows. And, and, and as we'll see today, really from a, honestly, a not very good example um, and, and God's word. I mean, a great example, but kind of a negative example, if you will, um, from the nation of Israel. Um, we're going to see very, very quickly that if we don't do it, if, if, we, if we fail to, to be a generation that passes on hope, the ramifications of that could be very, very great. So let's go ahead and read our passage of Scripture, Judges chapter 2, starting in verse 1, reading through verse 15. That says this, the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim and said to the Israelites, I brought you out of Egypt into the land that I swore to give to your ancestors. And I said, I would never break my covenant with you. For your part, you were not to make any covenants with the people living in this land. Instead, you were to destroy their altars, but you disobeyed my command. Why did you do this? So now I declare that I will no longer drive out the people living in your land. They will be thorns in your sides, and their gods will be a constant temptation to you. When the angel of the Lord finished speaking to all the Israelites, the people wept loudly. And so they called the place Bochim, which means weeping. And they offered sacrifices there to the Lord. In verse 6, it says, After Joshua sent the people away, each of the tribes left to take possessions of the land allotted to them. And the Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who outlived him, those who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. They buried him in the land he had allotted, that he had been allocated at Timnah, Timnasera in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaish. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things that he had done for Israel. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's side and served the images of Baal. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods, worshiping the gods of the people around them, and they angered the Lord. They abandoned the Lord to serve Baal and the images of Ashtoreth. 
This made the Lord burn with anger against Israel, and so he handed them over to raiders who stole their possessions. He turned them over to their enemies all around, and they were no longer able to resist them. Every time Israel went out to battle, the Lord fought against them, causing them to be defeated, and just as he warned. And the people were in great distress. So the book of Judges um, is a book that was given its name because of a, of a title that was given to the people who led Israel for a number of years, um, a few centuries in fact. Now, when Israel went into the promised land and settled there, from that point until they began to um, live kind of under a monarchy, under the kings, this, this period of time, three, four hundred years or whatever it was, was, um, was, was a time where Israel was led by these judges, which were, were men and sometimes women that would lead the nation of Israel out of times of trouble. Now, Judges was actually written by the, the very last one, the very last judge, which was uh, a man named Samuel, who, who was actually the one who anointed the first two kings of Israel. And basically what the book of Judges is about is the story of the many ups and downs that the people of Israel endured because of the choices they had made to either be faithful or unfaithful to God. And what's interesting to me about the book of Judges is this. If the people of Israel, this generation that we're talking about here today, had they have just followed the Lord, and the generations that followed them, had they had just followed the Lord and done what they were supposed to, there really wouldn't even have been a need to even have this book of the Bible. They would have had no need to have judges, really, or the kings that came on later because they were actually second best because God's perfect plan was for him to be their king. In fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 8 and verse 7, when Israel was asking for a king so they could be like the other nations around them, the Lord finally said, they're rejected me, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. And so God's desire and his plan was to be their, their king. Now, the Israelites, um, they had what was called the, the law of Moses, right? And, and in this law that were given way back in the, before they really even entered the promised land, it wasn't just a bunch of do's and don'ts. Um, this law of Moses really was uh, just instructions on, on how they were supposed to live their lives, on, on how they could live a holy, godly lifestyle. It gave specific instructions on how their society and government was supposed to function. It gave them an authority structure to follow, as well as specific instructions on how to worship God properly and stay in right relationship with him. The only problem for the Israelites is that the people too often um, did not follow God's plan, as we're going to see here today. And, and unfortunately, as we see throughout the book of Judges, even in the first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, and kind of on in Israel's history, every time they, they ignored the word of God and the commands of God, it got them really in just some sort of big mess. And it's exactly what we see in our verses for today. Now, the timeline of where we're at today is kind of this, right? So, Israel um, had just gotten out of their 40 years of, of wandering, right? And so, they, they had, Moses had died, Joshua now takes over, they cross the Jordan River, they go in and they spend some, there's an estimate between five and seven years where they're at continual war, um, trying to drive out these people of Canaan. And after that initial um, conquest or whatever, the, the nation of Israel is kind of together for one kind of final last time. And there's this picture, if you will, of them being together and 
God coming down to speak to them. Now, when they went in to take the land initially, God had given them very, very specific instructions. They were supposed to rid the land completely from every, uh, every inhabitant of the land of Canaan. Now, when I say the land of Canaan, I mean what you would think of as Israel. The land of Canaan was also called the promised land, also eventually called the nation of Israel, but they were supposed to rid the land completely of these people when they went in there to conquer, to, to, to conquer it. Um, not only were they supposed to do that, but they were supposed to go in and wipe out all of the false um, idols and gods and all these temples and pagan worship places, they were supposed to go in and literally rid the entire land of everything. Now, when some people read Israel, some people hear this, they, they kind of have this thought um, that, like, why would God do that to these people? I mean, isn't that kind of unfair? Is, is God some type of tyrant? Why would he ask his people to remove these people completely from the land um, that, that, that they were living in? Is there a reason for this, or was God just being mean? Well, there was absolutely a reason for this. God wasn't doing it to be mean. God was doing it out of love for his people. Because the, the people in the land of Canaan, these Canaanites, were people that were extremely evil. Um, the practices that they, that they did, God knew because of the sin nature that is in man, he knew if these people were left in there, it would draw the hearts of his people away from them. And there was a lot at stake. Because as we know, through the nation of Israel, eventually came the Savior, which brought salvation to all of us, whose name is Jesus, right? So these, these Canaanites were people that followed a, a number of false gods. Two of the main ones we read in our text here were Baal and Ashtoreth. And the worship of them was anything, anywhere from just some really evil things we'll talk about later, but I mean, like sacrificing, they would sacrifice animals to these false gods, to the point where there, there was even some of them would sacrifice people and kill people and worship to these false gods. So to say the least, God was trying to keep these people, his people, the Israelites, from being influenced by these people. So his instructions were extremely clear. Remove these people from the land so that they do not become a temptation to you. The problem was, is Israel didn't do it. They, they got rid of most of them, but they didn't get rid of all of them, and, and now that they were together as in one nation, kind of for the last time before they were dispersed to take the lands that were allotted to them as tribes, they were together, and we see kind of our text here for today. Now, verse 1 there talks about how this angel of the Lord went up and spoke to them. Now, just about every Bible commentator that I read believes this is what was called a big word, a theophany, um, a word probably you maybe you've never heard, but really what this means is it's kind of pictured as the pre-incarnate Christ, meaning the incarnation of Jesus was when he was born in a manger, pre-incarnate, pre-incarnation means these different times in the Old Testament that we see the Lord come, right? And more than likely the Son of God is coming to speak to, to these people. And the reason we believe this is because of the way that it's, um, the, the words are here, I brought you out of Egypt, I swore to have your, you know, to give your ancestors, and I said, I said, you know, that, that kind of thing. So we believe that it's actually the Lord himself speaking to the nation of Israel here. Now, as the Lord spoke here, he was talking about this covenant that was made um, to Moses before they ever kind of went into the land. Not just to Moses, but of the entire nation of Israel. And this covenant was a covenant that had two parts, God's part and the people's part. God's part was that he was going to go in and he was going to give them this land. He was going to drive out the people. He was going to provide for them. He was going to give them 
people's homes and, and places to live and, and, and all these different things and cities they didn't build. That, that was God's part, and God promised that he would do this. But Israel also had a part. They actually had to go in and do it. Although God was going to go before them and do it, they actually had to follow through and complete what they were supposed to do. However, um, they failed, as verse 2 says, to do that. They conquered most of the land, but not all of it. They conquered most of the people, but not all of them. They were supposed to make a, they were not supposed to make any type of treaties with the people, but they did. And they were supposed to get rid of all the pagan temples, and unfortunately, they did not. And as you get down to verse, thir- verse 3, you can see that there was some serious consequences. The Lord told them, now you're stuck with these people. Because you didn't follow through, because you didn't listen, these people are going to be a continual thorn in your side. These people are going to lead you away from God into evil practices. One of the most notorious people that were left in the land are people that maybe you're familiar with, the Philistines, which were kind of just a thorn in Israel's side for, for centuries. Now, What's interesting is God had actually warned Israel of this before they ever went into the promised land. Way back in Numbers chapter 30, 33 and verse 55, God said this, If you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it will be that those who you let remain shall be irritants in your eyes and thorns in your side, and they shall harass you in the land where you dwell. And so God had warned them, and now that warning had come to fruition because they had failed to do their part. And, and in verse uh, 4, we see that they wept loudly that said, and in no doubt they were feeling bad because they failed, but also realizing that there was some ramifications for their disobedience as God's people. And in verse 5, it gives the name of this place called Bokum, which in Hebrew means weeping. They even offered sacrifices to the Lord, but their outward expression of sorrow seemed to be short-lived because instead of turning fully to the Lord, we see from the rest of the passage that they went down the exact path that God was trying to keep them from very, very quickly. In verses 6 through 9, we see that after God had spoken to them, Joshua then sent the tribes out to to, to go and to to give these lands that were allotted to them by God. And the good thing about this particular generation, about Joshua and Caleb and that generation that followed them, so if, if you don't think about the story of the Israelites, only two of the original people that came out of Egypt went into the promised land, Joshua and Caleb, right? That's one generation. The next generation were the kids of those people. These are the people that went in and took the land, right? And so when, 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 when Joshua and Caleb and this next generation, um, they had all served the Lord. They, they worshiped God. They served the Lord. They didn't fall into the pagan worship like some of the others did. They served God like they were, as, like they were supposed to. However, after Joshua and that generation had, that had conquered the land died, we see some from verse 10 that, that although they served God themselves, they obviously didn't pass on what they had seen God do and what they had learned along the way from him, because verse 10 tells us that it didn't take very long. One generation, and these people went from God's people seeing all these things, knowing God in this amazing way, to a generation that knew nothing of God. They neither knew God nor any of the works that he had done. I mean, that's pretty incredible, isn't it? In one generation that you can have that drastic of a change... In verse 11 through 13, we can see that in one generation, the failures of these parents led to massive consequences in the lives of their families that followed them. Verse 11 says that they did evil. 
And not just evil, but evil in the Lord's sight. It, it's, and here's what's interesting about the way that this puts this, at least in my, my view, right? It, it's not that these people didn't know God existed. They did. They, they couldn't have not known God existed because of their parents, because their parents served the Lord, right? It's just that they didn't care. They did evil in God's sight, and they knew it, and they didn't care. Verse 12 says they abandoned the Lord and went after the false pagan gods of the people that were left in the land. Verse 13 says specifically they worshiped Baal and Ashereth. Now, Baal was considered to be the, the god of the land, essentially, uh, the god of the harvest, the god of agriculture. And if you know anything about this particular um, time in history, agriculture was everything. You know, your wealth depended on your flocks and upon your fields. And, and so these pagan people would worship Baal so they would get rich, essentially, and have earthly wealth. Where, where Ashtoreth was the god of fertility, or in layman's terms, the god of sex. And the way they would worship her is they would have these pagan temples of Ashtoreth, and there would be temple prostitutes, both male and female there, and the way they would go worship is to go do what you do with those, right? And so this is what the people of Israel, God's people, they had left him and went after wealth, the God of money, and the God of sex. Boy, that sure sounds familiar, doesn't it? In verse 14 and 15, we see that this made God angry at his people. So much so that God made their enemies stronger than them. So much so that they could no longer defeat their enemies in battle. It didn't take very long for them to lose everything. They had their lands taken, their possessions stolen. Many of their lives even were lost. At the end of verse 15, we see that this once mighty and powerful people of Israel were in great distress. Because all that they once had, the land, the wealth, the peace, the security was gone, and all they were left with was uncertainty. And what we see here is they were a people that was absolutely miserable in their sin. Now, as I was thinking about this, the big question that I think that, that we, we should ask ourselves is this, because I think this helps, it will help us understand kind of hopefully how we can prevent it, right? So, how could Israel go from being a nation that served God to a nation that completely turned their backs on God in one generation? Like, how could Israel go from being a nation that made the nations around them tremble with fear because of their power and the power of their God to being a nation that in one generation that was defeated so easily and so quickly? How do they go from worshiping the living God to worshiping statues in one generation? I mean, it was definitely a choice of that generation, the, the, the ones that we see in the latter verses there, it was those kids, it was definitely their choice to do those things, but, but what led to that choice was the generation that went before them. It, it, was, it was on their parents, and it really wasn't just one thing, it was rather a series of missteps in the part of that generation that came before them, their parents will call them, that really set up their children for failure. Their children and their grandchildren, they set them up for failure. So I just want to think just for a few moments here about the generation of parents, the ones that had seen the amazing deeds of God, the ones that went in and conquered the land, the ones that got to walk across dry land as they, as they went through the Red Sea, because they may have been kids, but some of these kids saw that. When they were adults, they walked through the Jordan River on dry ground. 
They saw that that's the generation I want to talk about because it was that generation that failed their children and their grandchildren after them. And there were some traits that I see in this text that hopefully will give us a great warning so we don't uh, fall into that same, that same spot. One thing that I can kind of see in this passage is that part of that generation's problem is they were conflicted in their minds. Meaning, if you can just kind of picture their life, right? When they were kids, they saw the Red Sea part. They saw some amazing, amazing things. But for the next 40 years, they were desert nomads. Just wandering around the Sinai Desert, watching people die. With, with this promise of this promised land someday, right? Even toward the end of Moses' life, they're there. And it's this, they're like in a perpetual state of war, fighting against people and nations and kings. And, and even when they go into the promised land, the war just began. I mean, they had another five, seven, eight years where they were just continually at war. And in the back of their minds, I can't help but wonder is if they just were tired. Tired of war, tired of wander. I mean, put yourself in their place for a minute and think how you would feel, right? I can't help but think they were just fatigued. Um, they, they wanted the comfort and peace that God had, had promised them. They wanted those homes and that land and that wealth that the Lord promised them. And, and again, I think they were just tired of wandering around and tired from war. And they were ready just to settle down and raise their families like normal people. I mean, do you, do you think maybe you'd be tempted to think like that if that's all you've known is just wandering your entire life? And, and I think in the back of their minds, they were conflicted by those things because they wanted those things. And the problem was stood in their way is, it's, it's not that they didn't know what they were supposed to do because God had given them specific instructions, right? Like God had told them very, very clearly, this is what I want from you. Get rid of all of the people remove all the statues, all the gods, all the pagan, get rid of it, right? So that, I mean, the, the instructions were clear, right? But in, in the conflict that's going on in their minds, the task ahead of them was no doubt hard, and I'm, I'm sure it got to them. The people they fought against were strong, and at times they, they simply got tired. No doubt that many of the Israelites died in some of these battles. They lost some of their friends, they lost some of their family, and they essentially just lost sight of God in the midst of the battles, and in the midst of this conflicted mind, I, I see another thing in here that they just begin to compromise. They became a compromising people. Instead of trusting God and finishing the job they'd been given, they, they, they gave into temptation. Meaning they, they didn't drive out all the people, but they let some of them stay there out of fear. Some of them had mighty iron chariots, and they just couldn't drive them out. They made treaties with a number of them because it was easier than fighting them. They didn't destroy the pagan places of worship and idols like they were supposed to, but instead they allowed those people to, to stay there, and, and they just compromised. They, they, just, they just didn't do the whole job. They did some of it, but they didn't follow through and do all of it. And yet, God still gave them the land. There was a time where this, this generation got to rest. Just like God had promised, I mean, they got to take possession of fields they didn't plow. They got to take possession of vineyards they didn't plant. They got to dwell in cities and live in houses that they did not build. They drank from wells that they didn't dig. They enjoyed the wealth and riches that they didn't work for. And all of this was just handed to them by God. And because of this, what I derive from this text is they just got comfortable. 
when they finally got to rest, when they finally were just sitting back, enjoying their years of retirement, right? Enjoying all of that wealth. War was over. The enemies were defeated, or so they thought. They had all the comfort they could ever need at their fingertips. And they just got comfortable. And can I tell you something? That's a dangerous place to be. Is comfortable when you get comfortable spiritually. Now the good thing was, as verse 7 tells us, they, they continued to serve God through their generation, through the rest of their days. I mean, they, they served God themselves. They went through the motions of worship like they were supposed to. Um, they, they themselves never gave in to serving these false gods for all intents and purposes. The, these people lived out their days in, in a good and, and honorable way, but the big problem was, was that all they had knew of God, all that they had seen God do, was not passed down to their children. Now, verse 10 tells us that their, their kids and grandkids grew up and did not acknowledge nor remember the mighty deeds of the Lord. I really like the way the King James put this, the old King James. It's in Judges 2.10, it says, When all that generation had been gathered to their families, another genera- generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done. In, in their comfort, they forgot the most important instruction God gave them, which was to pass their knowledge of him about God's might and about God's uh, their faith in God. They forgot to pass it on to their children. Or they just neglected to, one of the two. I mean, that's clearly what this text reads. And so I was thinking about what that looked like. Like, like how is that possible? For all they had seen, all they knew of God, how is it possible that they didn't pass this on to their kids? And all I can deduct is this, is that these people knew the law of God, but they didn't train their kids in it. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. Listen to verse 6. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I've given to you today. And then, verse 7, repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you go to bed, when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands. Wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your houses and your gates. God told them this way back when they were wandering around the desert. When I give you this land from now until that time and forevermore, Teach these commands to your children, meaning just beat it into their heads continually. Because who knows that living for the Lord is just a lifestyle. The best discipleship and training that we can do as parents is just living life, teaching our kids every single day practically what God wants from their lives. That's what God was telling the Israelites to do. And yet they, although they knew the law of God, they apparently didn't pass it on to their kids and train it in them. These people knew the deeds of God. I mean, they, they had seen incredible things. Again, this generation would have been children when they, when they went out of Egypt. But I mean, many of them no doubt would have remembered the plagues that God sent. Remembered, remembered how the Red Sea was parted. How God destroyed the entire army of Egypt as God closed the water down. They would have remembered the fun, God's voice thundering on Mount Sinai. They would have remembered the walls of Jericho come crashing down. And then the times that God went before them and destroyed entire armies in front of them. I mean, these people saw it and they witnessed it all. How do they not pass that on to their kids? Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9, another warning. It says, 
This was years before this. Watch out. Be careful. Never forget what you yourself have seen. Do not let these memories escape from your mind as long as they live, and be sure to pass them on to your children and grandchildren. They were warned. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 2 through 7. This is what the Lord says. Keep in mind that I am not talking now to your children who have never experienced the discipline of the Lord your God or seen his greatness and his strong hand and powerful arm. They didn't see the miraculous signs and wonders he performed in Egypt against Pharaoh and all his land. They didn't see what the Lord did to the armies of Egypt and their horses and chariots, how um, he drowned them in the Red Sea as they were chasing you. He destroyed them and, and have not recovered to this very day. Your children didn't see how the Lord cared for you in the wilderness until you arrived here. They didn't see what he did to Dathan and Abiram when the earth opened its mouth and the Israelite came and swallowed them up along with their households and their tents and every living thing that belonged to them. But you have seen the Lord perform all these mighty deeds with your own eyes. Do you get what he was saying? What what Moses was warning these people about? You guys have seen all this, but your children to come, they didn't see it all. So what are you supposed to do about it? You need to tell them. Warn them. Don't just tell them about how amazing God is. Warn them with disobedience brings, which is the judgment of God. And they saw that so clearly throughout the, the time that they were wandering around the desert, whether it was the earth swallowing up or, or snakes being sent in to, to kill thousands of them because of their disobedience. Warn your children about these things. In fact, along Israel's path of victory, specifically when they went across um, the, uh, the Jordan River and they went across on dry ground, just like the Red Sea, right? They get to the other side and the Lord tells them, stack stones up as a memorial. Why? Listen to Joshua 4, 19-24. The people crossed the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month. Then they camped at Gilgal, east of Jerusalem. It was there at Gilgal that Joshua piled up twelve stones taken from the Jordan River. And then Joshua said to the Israelites, In the future, your children will ask, What do these stones mean? And then you can tell them, This is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes, and he kept it dry until you were all crossed and he did it uh, just as he did in the Red Sea when he dried it up uh, until we had all crossed over it. He did this so that all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful and so that you might fear the Lord your God forever. And so that's what they were supposed to tell their children. Who were supposed to tell their children and their own children looked at that as just a pile of stones. They had no idea what that was. They knew the power of God. They had seen it and experienced it, and yet their children were completely oblivious to it. You know, part of the law was supposed to be some of the feast days. For, for instance, one of them was the, the Passover feast. In Exodus 12, verses 24 through 27, when God told him this, he says, Remember these instructions are a permanent law that you and your descendants must observe forever. When you enter the land the Lord has promised to give you, you will observe this ceremony. And then, verse 26, your children will ask, What does this ceremony mean? And you will reply, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, for he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt, and though he struck the Egyptians, he spared our family. That was just one of them. They have a number of feast days. They were all in memorial of amazing things God had done, and God gave them to them for the specific purpose of passing them on to the generations that followed so that Israel would never forget the God they served. And this generation completely failed. 
in one generation, all their experiences that God had done, all that God expected of his people was lost, and the generation that followed knew nothing of it. And because of this, the generation that followed them, their kids and grandkids, became a people that were absolutely corrupted. Why? Because their parents before them valued comfort over complete obedience to God. Because their parents before them compromised and didn't follow through with what they knew was right. Because their parents before them didn't heed the warnings of God nor pass down their faith to their children. And the results and the consequences were reaped by their kids and grandkids. Instead of worshiping God, they worshiped the gods of the people their parents left behind. Instead of living a holy life, they lived a life of sin and evil, being led by the hand of the people that their parents allowed to stay there. Instead of enjoying the comfort of the land, they had their land taken from them by the people their parents neglected to remove. And instead of living free, they became enslaved to the people their parents should have gotten rid of. And in one generation, they went from a people that had everything to a people who were absolutely miserable all because their parents neglected to do what God had called them to do. Wow. That's tough, isn't it? That's a very encouraging one. What does this have to do with us? A lot. And I think most of the application is pretty plain and and what we've already talked about. But as you know, as we think about this example from these people in, in our verses, learning from their negative example is something that we have, to, we have to learn from so we don't repeat it. You know, the future of what our children and grandchildren will experience both in this world and throughout eternity is largely dependent on what they learn right now from us. You know, I, I, I love to speculate when I read passages of scriptures like this and, and, and how differently I wonder what it would have looked, really not just this generation, but the whole history of Israel, think about that. How, how different would it have looked if they had listened completely? Like if they would have actually went in and got rid of all the people, got rid of all the pagan worship, and truly settled in and, and were, became the people of God like God had called them to, what would have changed? I mean, we can only speculate, and we obviously don't know, but uh, what I do know is this. If, if we want our kids to live for the Lord, if we want them to follow his ways, if we want our kids and grandkids to have a future of hope, then we have to do something different than they did. We have to take what we, what we saw in here and, and do something different. We, we, need to, we need to change and make sure we give our kids the right foundation. You know, the world we live in right now, as most of you know, is in a pretty dire situation. Our country, our state is, is not great, obviously, right? You know, as we think about Israel in this time in their lives, what's interesting about chapter 3 and 4 and 5 is that when Israel would get to a point like they were here, because very shortly after this, they they began to cry out to the Lord. And, and they were sorry for what they had done to get themselves into this mess. And God sent a deliverer to come and, and kind of restore them. 
And, and so because of that pattern, I, 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 as bad off as this world is right now, as bad off as our, as our nation is right now, the, the good thing is we still serve a God that provides hope for his people, that, that still has the ability to provide deliverance for nations. And I believe that completely. You know, Scripture says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, well, what's the promise? He'll, he'll come and he'll restore the land. He'll heal it. it. It starts with us. No matter what's happened in the past, no matter what's happened in the generations before us that has gotten us to the point we are at right now, we can be a generation of change if we make the choices to be that. How do we do that? From this text, we need to set an example for our kids. Like, we need to live it ourselves. We need to let our kids see us, our grandkids see us, walk in an obedience to God's Word. Kids model what they see, not just what they're told. You know, unlike the Israelites, we need to learn God's Word and choose to obey all of it, not just the parts that are convenient. And that is so important because, can I tell you something? Kids can spot a hypocrite faster than anybody. We, we, I mean, listen, we're not perfect and we get that, but let's, to the best of our abilities, show them what right looks like in our lives. We need, to be doing, we need to be willing to do what it takes to finish the task that God has given us. No matter how tired we get, we can't give up. No matter how hard the Christian life is, we cannot quit. No matter how much we are tempted to compromise in this life to gain wealth or status or success or pleasure or comforts, we cannot give in to sin to gain them. Because if we do, I assure you that our kids will follow in our footsteps. If we don't, the generations that follow us will deal with the consequences of our inaction as God's people. And so when it comes to the example our kids see, let's show them Jesus. To the best of our ability, let's give them the example of a life that's walked in holiness and righteousness according to God's word. One person said, children are great imitators, so let's give them something great to imitate. I like that. Uh, the late Chuck, Chuck Swindoll says that each day of our lives we make deposits in the memory banks of our children, so let's make sure the deposits that we make are, are good ones. By our example, let them see that, right? But lastly, we can't stop there. We need to make sure that we don't just show them the example, because the Israelites did that, right? That generation that followed them, they, it says they served the Lord their whole life. They, they did the right thing. They just didn't pass those things on to their children. So we can't just live the example. We need to make sure we take the time to pour into the next generation. Take time to, to teach them and to train them and to walk through life with them and, and, and tell them about the Lord. You know, our kids spend most of their childhood being taught by schools, by TV, by the internet, and the culture around us. The vast majority of their life, that's what they're getting. The only hope that our kids and grandkids have for, for, for our generation is for our generation to do what it takes to teach them about the Lord. We have to somehow get into their minds and into their lives because they're being inundated by evil and filth. And we have to make sure that we get into their minds and teach them the ways of the Lord. Uh, Billy Graham once said, The greatest legacy one can pass on to one's children and grandchildren is not money or other material things accumulated in one's life, but rather a legacy of character and faith. 
We need to teach our kids not only about who God is, but also about what he wants for our lives. We need to take time to tell our kids what God has done in our lives. Like, like do your kids know your testimony of faith? The Israelites didn't pass it out. They didn't tell them all that God had done and all that they had, they had experienced. They didn't, they didn't tell them about how they got to where they were. Do your kids know your testimony of faith? Do your kids know what God has done in your life? Do your kids know some of the mistakes you've made and how God has changed you through them? So many parents never talk to their kids and their grandkids about those things, but we need to do that. We need to make sure that our kids know what God has done in our life so they can hopefully um, follow that, not make some of the same mistakes that we did. Another thing that we need to do, not only get our kids to church, but make sure they're involved in it. Because what, what I picture of these people, because the, their parents they were a generation that were faithful to the Lord, they were parents that went to, the, they went to the tabernacle to worship. They obviously did the sacrifices. They went to the feast days. But I can't help but wonder if they just left the kids at home. Because the kids didn't know about it. I'm going to say this, if church is not a priority to us, I can guarantee you it's not going to be a priority to our kids. You would not believe the statistics of church kids that grow up and completely walk away from the church. It's over 80% today of kids that grow up in church never step foot in the church again once they go into adulthood. We need to choose for our kids to be here. If they have the choice between sitting at home and watching TV and coming to church, the vast majority of kids will sit at home and watch TV or go do something else. <laughs> we need to choose for them. God made you the parent for a reason because he expects you to be the parent and make them come. And I'll just say this. There are six and a half other days in the week to work, to have fun, to do lard work, to do bills, Give God a couple hours of the week for the sake of your kids. This is so, so important. The point is this. If we don't do our jobs as parents, our kids will fall into the same trap the Israelites did. If we don't model for them and teach them to chase after God, I guarantee you they will chase after the things of this world. Because we may call the gods by different names, but it's the same thing drawing the hearts of our children away. The God of Baal was the God of prosperity, Asterisk was the god of sex. Can I tell you what the, what the scourge of America is and the scourge of every nation in this world is right now? The god of money and the god of sex. And the only thing we have to fight it is this right here. And we have to get this within the minds of our children to help them understand that that path is the way that leads to absolute destruction. We have to do our jobs. It's been said, and it's true every, with every generation, we are one generation from losing our nation to the pagan things that are going on in it. However, because of the God we serve, there is still hope. If we start doing our jobs, there is still hope for the future. So let's pass on hope for the future generations. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, so much for this day and so much, God, for um, your, your, your guidance that you've given us through your word, Lord, the examples of the people that have gone before us, and I just pray that we would learn from them. Lord, let us just uh, glean from their mistakes that we don't make the same ones. God, it, there, there's so many things that, that abide for our attention and our mind in this world. 
um, so many things that are pulling our hearts away from you, God. And I just pray that, that we, would, as parents, as grandparents, the adults would understand that, God, we, our kids, our grandkids are dependent on us. We need to make the right choices for them, for their future, so they have one. So, Father God, give us the grace to be able to stand for you. Give us the grace to be able to, to, be able to serve you in a way that, that gives them the right example, to take the time to teach them the ways uh, of, of your word, God. And through that, I pray, God, that your name and your glory would move on from generations um, that, that, that move past us, Lord God. Heavenly Father, thank you for Christ. Thank you for salvation in him. Be glorified in our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, guys, if you can stand, we are going to sing... Um,